service. And yes, it starts at 10.05, 10 a.m. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Amen. Everybody excited to worship Jesus? For those that are already here, if you guys can please stand. That'll be a good way to get it started. Get your aerobics going a little bit. Get your hands up. Start getting ready to worship Jesus. The way we like to start every Sunday morning, you guys know, is with a testimony. I got Brother Steve. If you can please come up. Brother Steve's going to bring a great testimony. And then pray to our worship time. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys, man. It's good to, uh, it's good to have the opportunity to testify, um, and God is definitely good, amen. Um, you know, I found out uh, last night uh, that I was going to be testifying, and um, of course, immediately I started praying, like, God, you know, what would you have me to, uh, to testify about, you know? And there's, um, he just said it's to be real, you know, and just put it out there. And um, in the last six months, man, it's been really, really, really rough, you know? As far as um, in a physical aspect, you know what I mean? If you don't have Jesus in your life, it would be horrible. Um, but the last six months have been a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations, a lot of just everything going on, and it's, it's, it seemed to be like nonstop, you know? But the only thing that has been keeping me going is Jesus Christ. And, um, and I know that sounds like a cliche. It sounds like just something naturally that, that a Christian would say. But totally honest, man, the stuff that I've been going through in my, my, my household, my wife, um, and us as a family unit, without Jesus Christ, I don't know how we would have made it. Amen? But it's because of the Lord, you know, and, and the thing that God wanted me to share was real simple, you know? I don't know what you're going through or all the stuff that you've been going through for the last six months yourselves, but Jesus Christ is definitely the answer. Because even though I'm going through all this stuff, I have peace. I have joy. I go to sleep in peace. I wake up in peace. My kids are smiling. They have peace. They have joy. My wife still has peace. She has joy. We're still going forward. Nothing has stopped. We're still ministering. We're still preaching. God is still good today. He's still going to be good tomorrow. And even if something else happens tomorrow, God is still good. And I know that I still have peace. Amen. I have this scripture, man, coming out of uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Um, and it says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And see, if we have our minds set on things on earth, like with all the stuff that's been happening to me and my family for the last six months, I'll go crazy. But see, it's, it's, the earthly things don't matter. When we have our eyes on God, we know that God has all this earthly stuff taken care of. All we have to do is keep our eyes stayed on Jesus. And everything else will work itself out in Jesus. He'll work it out. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word and your truth, Lord God. We thank you that it never comes back void, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that no matter what happens, Lord God, we can trust you, Lord God. You're faithful, Lord God. You're still in control, Lord God. You're still God Almighty. You're still sitting on a throne, Lord God Almighty. You still reign, Lord God. You're still able, Lord God. And we thank you for that this morning, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would have your way, that you would be tangible in this place this morning, Lord God, through the worship, Lord God, through the word, Lord God, and that you will be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on. 
Amen. Hallelujah. This first song is called Free to Run, and we like to move with this song. Amen. So because we're going to be moving, um, it's kind of like a, a, in a closed place. Why don't you introduce yourself to your neighbor just in case some elbows start flying or, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself. We're excited for you to be here this morning. sing it out through you. Whenever your voice, through you. With through you the blind will see. With through you the mute will sing. With through you the dead will rise. With through you our hearts will praise. With through you let darkness flees. With through you my heart sing I am free. Come on, sing it again through you. With through you the blind will see, with through you the mute will sing, with through you the dead will rise, with through you our hearts will praise, with through you the darkness flees, with through you our hearts sing, I am free, I am free. See, I'm free to run. Yes, I am free to run. I am free to dance. I am free to dance. I am free to dance. Yes, I am free to live for you. I am free to live for you. Yes, I am free. We'll see through you the kingdom comes. With through you the kingdom comes. With through you the battles won. With through you I'm not afraid. With through you the price is paid. With through you this victory. Because of you my heart screams, I am free. Yes, I am free. Go see now. Yes, I am free to ride. I am free to ride. Yes, I am free to dance. Yes, I am free to live for you. I am free to live for you. Yes, I am free. Oh, come on, let's sing it here. Through you, the kingdom comes. Every voice. Through you, the kingdom comes. I love. Through you, the battles won. Through you, I'm not afraid. Through you, the price is paid. Through you, there's victory. Come on, lift up your voice. My heart screams, I am free. Yes, I am free. Yes, I am free to run. I am free to run. Yes, I am free to dance. I am free to dance. Yes, I am free to live for you. I am free to live for you. Yes, I am free. Come on, everybody, clap your hands. Come on. Come on, sing after me. Say whoa, oh, 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 see it out. Whoa, oh, oh, we say whoa, oh, 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 whoa, oh, 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 we say whoa, oh, 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 so whoa. 
us. Here we go. We say, oh, 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 Happy voice, oh, 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 Yes, I am free to live for you. Yes, I am free to live for you. Yes, I am free. Come on, give praise. Thank you, God, for freedom. Oh, we praise your name. You set us free, Lord. Come on, whatever the Lord has set you free from, isn't he worth praising? Come on. Come on, maybe he set you free from addictions. Come on, maybe he set you free from your old way of life. Come on, maybe he set you free from some depression. Whatever it is in this place, isn't he worth praising? Come on. Oh, the great I am, so like you, Lord, so like you. Shake before him, 
The demons run and flee at the mention of your name, King of Majesty. There is no power in heaven or any who can stand before the There is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, the great I am, the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. shake before him the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the 
presence of the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. Oh, come on, we'll sing about this morning. Oh, you're the great I am, the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. Oh, he's the great I am. Who speaks it out? The great I am, the great I am, the great I am. Oh, the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. Oh. Attitude of worship and attitude of prayer. Do you know in Genesis there's an account of God using people? And some of you may remember the story of Moses, and before God brought them out of Egypt, he raised up Moses. And he met with Moses, and he met him there as a burning bush. And he told Moses, Take off your sandals. For the place you're standing on is holy ground. And so Moses stands before the Lord and God tells him, I want you to go before Pharaoh. I want you to go before the king and speak on my behalf. And Moses was very afraid, which would have been common. But as you're seeing God speak to you, maybe that would have given you some courage. But Moses' response was one out of fear. He was terrified of what God was telling him to do. And he said, God, listen, you know this. Why don't you use my brother? He speaks better. Come on, scholars have identified that Moses had a lisp and, and he, couldn't ha he wasn't the best choice. But how do many of you know that God loves to use people that may not seem like the best choice? Come on, take broken pieces and put them together. He said, no, 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 Moses, you have no idea what I'm doing right now. And, but God, who should I tell them that's sending me? They're not going to believe me. Tell them the great I am. <laughs> the great I am sending you. Oh, he is the great I am. Oh, he is the great I am. In our life, he is the great I am. You are God. You are Lord over our life, over our situations. Come on. Oh, you're the great I am. Why don't you just say that? Come on. Maybe you may be facing things in your life right now. Challenges, struggles. Come on, addictions. Come on, you may be going through things where you're trying to reach out to your family and no one seems to be getting the message. Lord, you are the great I am. You go before us. You're here right now, oh Lord. Come on. You are the great I am. Come on and speak that out this morning. You are the great I am. Jesus. Oh, the great I am. God. Revealed to us is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is here. Amen.
We make room for you right now, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us this morning. I believe that's a word for everyone in this place. That's just not a word for preachers. That's not a word for evangelists. That's not a word for people called to Bible college. Come on, that's a word for God's church. Come on. God, we ask for boldness in this place, God, to preach your word, God. Father, not making excuses when you've made it plain and clear of what we're to do, of what we're to say, how we're to live. God, we pray for boldness in this place. Come on, if you need an increase of boldness, would you lift your hands in this place? Come on. Jesus, we ask for boldness for your church. God, we ask for a fire in our belly, God. God, to preach your word, uncompromised, God, unashamed, unashamed of you, Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on, why don't you begin to pray for those people that God has placed on your heart. Come on, let us start right now. Jesus, we pray for our co-workers. We lift up our family members, God. We lift up our schools. God, would you save the high schools, God? Come on, save the schools, oh Jesus. Save our cities, oh Lord. Come on, save the nations, God. Come on, lift it up in this place. We ask for boldness, God. You've called us out. You've made it plain as day, God. Come on, if you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for not speaking out, yes. If he's called you to speak out and if you haven't been speaking it out, if you've been afraid, ask the Lord for repentance. Let him give you boldness here this morning. We're unashamed, church. We're unashamed. We're unashamed of Jesus. Lifted up, you will draw men unto you. There is no higher, no, there is. 
Come on, church, let's worship God. We come to church this morning to worship God. We're all here this morning for Jesus Christ. And just like the lyric says, there is no higher, no, there is no greater, no, there is not stronger than our God. He is worthy to be praised with all of your souls, with all of your hearts, with all of your minds. He is worthy of adoration and worship. He is worthy to be exalted. With your own words, right now, I want to invite all the church right now to just worship God. Worship Him like you never worshiped before. The Bible says that the rocks will worship Him if we don't worship Him. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. We worship you, Jesus. King of kings and Lord of our lords. God Almighty. Great I am, Yahweh Elohim, hallelujah, Jesus, we worship you, Lord, glory, glory is God, glory is God, glory is God, glory is God, glory is God. 
says that all the angels in heaven surround his throne the elders bowing down and worshiping the holy of holy hallelujah 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 glorious glorious majestic God worthy 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 is the Lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. The great I am. The strong tower. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we ask for heaven on earth. We ask for heaven on earth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's give God a praise. Just hallelujah. God, we give you praise. Come on, give him a praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom to be able to worship you this morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Bird. I'm campus pastor here. Right now, I'm going to present to you the gospel of Jesus. For those that have children, this is a good time to dismiss them towards the booth. I would like to welcome everybody to please have a seat. Praise God. 
There's nothing better but to worship God. The rocks will worship him one day. The mountains will bow down. The trees will bow down, the Bible says. You believe the Bible? That's what it says. Amen. There's nothing much beautiful but to be in God's presence. And again, it's our willing desire to go after that. Amen? Amen. I would like to uh, invite everybody to read the scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You know, when I preach to people on the streets or co-workers or friends, you know, and I tell them, I, I present them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I tell them, you know, come to church and visit. Well, I'm not worthy, they say something. Sometimes they think they're not worthy to come to church or because they're, you know, they're too bad or they've done so much sin. It's like, God, listen really want to set me this way. I, I'm not ready to go to church. I hear that sometimes. You know, I think about when I was not saved and I was in sin and I came to this church here about seven, six years, six years ago. It's going to be seven years. I came because I wanted Jesus Christ. I came because I knew I had sin in my life. So I just want to thank for those that came for the you're here for the first time or it might be your 10th time but you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior. There is sin in your heart. There's sin in your life. There's a pattern uh, of addiction. There is, you might be lying from left to right. You might be an alcoholic. You might be a thief. You might be a hypocrite. But my thing is this. I think about Romans chapter 5 verse 8. And I'm going to go and read just a little bit extra from the beginning. Because God says that you and I are worthy of his love. He says, and I'm going to start from verse 6. You see, at, the, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still sinning, for those that are saved and can relate to this, he died for your sin. For your, if you're not saved and you can't relate to this, is this. Still in your sin, Christ said, hey, I've taken the punishment that you deserve. Still in your sin. I want to take away your pain, your hurt, and everything you think that I cannot do in your life, I can do it. So Christ is saying, while you were still sinners, I came and died for me. The Bible says right there that he came in our behalf. He came willingly. He came for us. Live the blameless, perfect, sinless life. And took it on a cross for you and I. For all humankind, because we all have sin in the eyes of God. We all have fallen short of his glory, the Bible says. Whatever sin that you know that you're, you're honest with yourself, and you know that is keeping you from God. Hypocrisy, lying, stealing, cheating. It's time to own up to those things. Today, the Bible says, the day of salvation. It is time to own up. It's time to say to the pride, I'm bringing it down to God. Because people come and go inside this church and walk out and do the same thing. 
God is saying this morning, I don't want that no more. Have faith, believe. You individually be determined to say today I'm going to give my heart to Jesus Christ. Because he said that he demonstrated his love for me while still in sin right now. He died for me. That is a powerful love that God has for you and I. I urge you this morning, if you have sin in your life, God wants to deal with it. God, but you have the freedom to say, okay, and the will to say, I'm going to give it to him. So if you can please stand with me. I just want to pray. If everybody can close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for those that need to accept Christ in their lives. I want to pray in your behalf to see for you right now. You know who you are. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you just remove masks, Father God. Father God, I ask for the conviction of your Holy Spirit to come right now. I come against hypocrisy. I come against, I come against the pride of heart. I, I come against that, Father. In Jesus' name, remove those things, Father. God, we glorify you right now. We lift the name of Jesus Christ right now. It is you who are worthy of salvation, Father. Remove every single lie of the devil from their minds now in Jesus' name. Satan, I bind your plans. I bind everything that you come against the people right now in Jesus' name. I rebuke you out of this room in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare, I declare the freedom of God in this room. The humility of the heart of men and women to say, I'm in need of Jesus Christ. Or else I will be damned. See, you yourself were the ones that damned yourself into hell. Not, 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 not God. You see, you're willing. God will send you because he is just and holy. He is his justice that says, I can't accept you into eternal heaven. Jesus says, hey, you have the free will. You have to be born again. You have to be born again into the kingdom of God. You have to live a spiritual life. No more living in the, in the carnal. No more living in the flesh. The Bible says that the acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality. Orgies. Drunkenness. And the like, those that practice these things would not inherit the kingdom of God. I pray that your hearts this morning were open to the word of God. And you still, while in your sin, know that this Christ came and died for you if you don't see the love in that I pray that you will receive it right now that you will accept that love that God has for you and own up to sin and give it to Jesus Christ father I thank you I thank you God I thank you Lord that your spirit is doing the work in the hearts of people now in this room father be glorified, Father. Be glorified, Father. Be glorified, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, everybody say amen. Amen. And I want to welcome for those that want that prayer and want to be accountable because you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. The Bible says the word an iron sharpens an iron, so a man must sharpen one another. I want to welcome you to come here and with Elliot and Christina. They want to pray for you. You want to accept Jesus and further your relationship with God. Amen. So please do so after the... Uh, after we, uh, the confession of faith that we're going to recite here together, we confess this because it's the Christian worldview. Every Christian, you see an entire, every Christian church that you see everywhere on this world believes this, okay? So let's recite, let's recite it together at the count of three. One, two, three. 
I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the death. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Please uh, greet your neighbor. Let's spend the next couple minutes just getting to know each other in here. For those that need prayer, please come up. all here this morning. Why don't you please make your way back to your seats. Welcome to Metro Praise International. You guys excited to be in the house of God this morning? Come on, God is good all the time, isn't he? 
Amen. Welcome to MPI. If this is your first time here, please raise your hand. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you did not receive a brochure, please leave your hand raised and one of our ushers will bring one to you. Here at MPI, we have two main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m., Elevate Youth Service. Come on, Elevate, make some noise. Elevate Me is ages 11 to 18 years of uh, age, coming every Friday at 7 p.m., rocking the house. And I want to give you guys this quick announcement. Here is our Easter service, April 20th, for the glory of God. Come on, give it up for that. We're going to have an awesome presentation of talent going up here for you. We're going to have free family portraits after the service. It's, it's uh, April 20th. It's going to be a powerful time, guys, to invite family members who do not know Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you don't know a family member, you know, hey, they're going to go to church. Bring them on over. They're going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel as well for them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So find us on Facebook. We have an event page. Hit like, hit going, you're joining. And then tag your friends for them to come and join us because it's going to be a powerful time. Amen? And here at MPI, we have a vision of loving God and loving people. Somebody say love God and love people. Yes, and we have a discipleship strategy of connect, mentor, and send. So if you're saying, what is this church about? Well, we're about loving God and loving people. And how do I go about that? We want you to get connected. So you get connected to Jesus Christ. You know him as Lord and Savior. And then you get connected through one of the life groups. So if you look on the back of your announcements, you flip it over. You will see a complete listing of every single one of the life groups we have going on this quarter. We have something for everyone. And so here's what's going on this week. Tonight we have our adult fellowship, 21 years and up, at 3 p.m. with us, with Ishmael. Come on, give it up for the fellowship group. They're going to Nini's Delis. Come on, we're going to pack out Nini's Delis this afternoon. We're going to eat up, enjoy some fellowship. And then we have Encounter Night Prayer and Worship Group at 5 p.m. We have the Single Mamas Group at 5 p.m. with Pastor Lauren, yes. We have Wednesday King Kids this, well, this Wednesday at 6 p.m. You can bring your children, babies, all the way up to 11 years of age happening here at the church, teaching our kids about God. And then Friday, adult Bible study at my house with child care provided. That's at 7 p.m. And then Saturday, evangelism, going throughout the city of Chicago and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we want you guys to get connected to one of those life groups. We want to share life with you. And after you get connected, we want to make sure you guys get mentored. Someone wants to teach you how to live for Christ, how to go for, past just the worship and you feel God's presence. You want to live for him throughout the week? Get connected with one of the leaders here at the church. An elder or a deacon will make time to meet with you throughout the week and teach you about Christ. So once you graduate this, you go on into the 201 class. Right here, Disciples That Make Disciples with Pastor Jared at 8 a.m. Because why? God wants to train you up, right? It's not just about the leaders. It's not just about the pastors. It's about all of us as a whole doing what God has called us to do. And he wants to send you out into the world. He wants you to impact lives around you. Amen. And we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here, and 500 all around the world. Come on. If you're excited about that, say amen. Yes. It is powerful. It's great things happening. And God wants you to be a part of that. So now it's time to prepare for our tithes and offerings. Please open up your Bibles with me to Malachi 3.8. In the beginning of the year, we started going through these lessons out of the Disciples Giving Book. 
You can find it online at the MPI website. Pastor Joe set out to teach us more about tithes and offerings. You know, the church was looking for some kind of resource so we could learn more. There really wasn't anything out there. So our pastor took the time to write these out for us. And so for the first 14 weeks, we went through tithes. Tithes is anything, I'm sorry, tithes is 10% of your total income. And so now we're starting in lesson one. Today's lesson is offerings come after tithe. Lesson number one. And so if you're with me in Malachi 3.8, let us read. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. All right, so she's like, man, I can rob God. Yes, we can rob God when we withhold what he's asking us to give back. So here are the main points. Number one, Jewish offerings. God gave the Jewish people many different ways to give offerings for various reasons, but, they, but it never replaced the tithe. The offerings were always considered something above and extra from the tithe. Number two, offerings for the Christian. Today, Christians should be faithful to give their tithe and seek God for wisdom in giving their offerings to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. And number three, not giving offerings is also considered robbing God. Just like how not giving the whole tithe is considered robbing God, the same is true with not giving your offerings. Though the Bible does not give a set amount to give in offerings, you are to be mature enough to pray to be led by God to give what he puts in your heart to give. Amen? So let's summarize this. Offerings are extra gifts given to God that are to be taken serious and should be given joyfully. Amen? And I just want to give a quick testimony about how this church gives offerings. You guys know that 10% goes to the general fund. Everything that we, uh, we receive goes to take care of the bills, um, the lighting, all that good stuff. Anything that we give uh, is offering. And so our church obviously gives an offering, and we give it to the community. And this past week, we knew that our neighbor next door was shutting down his business. And so Pastor Joe went over there and, you know, wanted to help the guy out. He saw he still had a lot of product left over, and, and God put it on his heart to buy it all. Amen? He bought it all, all that good stuff, all the grocery, everything, the toiletries, took it all for a good price, you know, and um, was able not only to bless him, but now we bless the community. This church, come on, with your giving, with your offering, what you're doing, was able to bless the community. People who were struggling, buying groceries or anything, walked out of here with bags of groceries. You know what? Knowing that this church is here for them. Amen? So thank you so much for your giving. Yes. Amen. And, and you know, thanking God for what he's putting in our heart. We're reaching out. We're reaching out into this community. So it's same thing for you. You pray and you ask God and you wait for God to give you that set amount and what you can give as an offering. Amen? And so let, how do we apply this lesson? Number one, be a faithful tither. Keep that 10%, you know, just being faithful. And then number two, pray and seek God for what to give in offerings. And number three, be faithful in giving your offerings to God. Amen? Let's recite this together over our offering. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it, and it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always be bring thanksgiving to God because they will go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus 
and revealing where our treasure really is. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. Once again, tithe is 10% of your total income given to the Lord. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. When you give here, you pray, you ask the Lord, and, and he gives you that set amount. You can choose whether you're going to give to the building fund that we have here at the church, taking care of various uh, projects we have going on throughout the building, or you can give towards the missions offerings. How many of you know we're taking a missions trip to the Philippines? Yes. At the end of 2014, going out, preaching the gospel, impacting lives there, working with other pastors. It's going to be amazing. And we're raising $20,000 to take that trip. And so we're well on our way. Thank you for your giving. So you choose. Circle it on your envelope um, where you want your money to go to. And you better believe it's impacting somebody's life. Amen. So let's recite this scripture together. Acts 20:35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for every blessing that you give your people. We thank you, dear God, for the finances to take care of our homes. And I just pray for blessings and abundance of blessings to overflow that we, dear God, will be able to give towards your kingdom. We thank you that the missions trip, dear God, is in your hands. And that money will come forth and it will glorify you, dear God. So I just pray for cheerful hearts to give, dear God, what you're putting in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come up as you give. Thank you. Amen. If you love Jesus and the weather, let me hear you say hallelujah. Amen. Isn't this weather beautiful the last couple of days? Awesome. We have another baby dedication we want to do today, so I want to invite Melissa to come forward. Please come on. Let's give it up for Melissa and Javier Ramirez. What's going on, hermana? Como esta usted? Amen. Gloria a Dios. Do you have the baby with you? Okay, so let's do this again. I'm going to let you guys go. Let's give it up for them as they go get the baby. Amen. Oh, you know what? Let Javier get the baby. Melissa, why don't you stay here as he does that? Javier. Oh, there he is. Come on, let's give it up for Matthew Alexander Ramirez. Sorry we didn't let you know when to have the baby. <laughs> kids, you guys can come up. This is the rest of her kids. Come on, their family. Come on. Don't be shy. Now, Melissa has an awesome testimony. Would you share just a little bit about how we met you in Chicago here, what brought you back to Mexico, you know, what God is doing over there. And I know you're visiting, you're going, but you're going back to Mexico, and we're going to cry. We're going to miss you so very, very mucho, okay? But uh, just tell us a little bit what's been going on. The big picture. The big picture. All right. 
very excited to be here. Uh, I was so anxious to be here again with my family. I consider Metro Praise my family. Um, about three years ago, I I came to Metro Praise. I first went to a life group with David and Monica that were invited, me and Bertha. Hey, my back sister is right there. <laughs> yeah, so we started to actually know Jesus Christ. We took, we, like three years ago, we started to take this really serious. And um, we were struggling. We, we both have our own different struggles, sins. But um, I was separated from my husband, and we were going to have a divorce pretty much. Yeah, he was making his life, you know, apart, and me too. So it was hard. I struggled. He struggled too. He had some other thing to deal with. You know, God saved him from alcoholism and all other things. And, yeah, praise Jesus. And um, all those three years, I, I did pray. I was, I, everyone was telling me, oh, just I think that's it. You should just find and ask him for divorce. I don't think this is impossible to be fixed. Only a miracle. <laughs> Pastor Joe told me only a miracle. Yeah, here's my miracle. <laughs> yeah, so we've been together for almost um, nine months. And um, this is Matthew. God blessed me with another child, and and we're like a whole family now. And but. San Luis Potosí, Mexico, yeah. It's a small town, yeah. But that's why I think God put in our hearts to be, because he, 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 his, him growing with Jesus has been more over there. Like, he had to understand his language and everything, and, yeah, but God started to change me first, and then after changing me, he started to do things in his heart. And once we were both at the same page, that's when we decided to be together. Yeah, because I wanted a godly man. <laughs> I got it. Gloria, you got you one. Amen. Hormana Ishmael, would you come up, please? Last time he sang Encarnacion. This time you're going to stand here and you're going to interpret for my brother right here. Okay, you're going we're gonna to. We're going to talk to Armando right here. Tell him I love him so much. He looks beautiful today. El pastor lo ama mucho. Dice que se ve muy guapo hoy. And we remember when you uh, came with counseling for Melissa. Y nos acordamos cuando vino para recibir consejería. Thank you. Con Melissa. And I could tell that you were very nervous that you were going to lose your wife. Y él se acuerda que usted se sentía muy nervioso y pensaba que iba a perder su mujer. I could tell that look was in your eyes that you knew this was the last straw. But we decided that day to pray, and you said you were going to commit your life to Jesus. And now today I see a different man. The look in your eyes, I see a husband and a man of God. Ahora veo un diferente hombre. En, en, tu, en sus ojos veo un hombre de Dios y un hombre diferente. And you are a great testimony because now we can see the answer of God's prayer, or the prayer we pray to God, because your family is together and they're all happy. Y eres un gran testimonio porque ahora vemos la gracia de Dios en su familia, 
familia junta y todos felices. And this is your love child right here, and he is beautiful. Y ese es su, su hijo de amor, y es muy, es muy guapo. So we love you. We hope to come see you on the ranchero in Mexico. Lo amamos y nos gustaría verlo a usted un día en el rancho en México. I want to ride horses with you and wear a cowboy hat. Gineteando caballos con usted y con un, un, una, how do you say, sombrero y un sombrero. Sombrero, ay, ay, ay. Thank you. Pardon me, pardon me, I'm just a gringo. Pardon me. You know, the Bible says that Jesus would bless the children, and we did this last week. And do you think Jesus ever gets tired of blessing children? No. And how many women in this room right now are pregnant, ready to have a baby? Would you stand? All the pregnant women, would you stand up? I want you to see. Come on, Diana, stand up. There's some more pregnant women. Look, we got some more babies coming. Amen? We got some more. So we love children. Matthew, you've been doing all this talk, and you want to testify? Amen. You guys been doing good? Get a high five. You guys look awesome. Amen. We're going to pray and bless him because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, 13 through 15, that whenever Jesus saw the little children, he would just reach out his hand and bless them. And he would speak, you know, prosperity over their life with God. And now as a husband and wife, as you said, both serving the Lord. This enables God to bless these children because God doesn't want to bless a mess. And when families are out of order, God's blessings are trying to come to those children. But sometimes the parents are resisting it. So say, for example, the, the parents, uh, they're saying, I want my children, you know, to stay away from the streets and do good things. But then at home, the, the father's getting drunk. The woman's watching things she shouldn't. So God's trying to bless the family, but the parents are, are thwarting that blessing. But because you guys have come together, you're doing it God's way. The Bible says that your whole house will be blessed. And you'll be blessed when you come in and out of your house. You'll be blessed on your job. The children will be blessed and one day when they have grandchildren uh, and your grandchildren they'll be blessed to the blessed to the third and fourth generation are you excited about it say amen <laughs> all we gotta do is give him the mic and he starts crying amen congregation would you stretch your hands towards this couple as a sign of agreement as we pray for them father i ask you to bless matthew God bless him. Let him grow up to be a mighty disciple like the Matthew in the Bible. I pray that he'll be strong. He'll be wise. He'll choose the right friends. One day he'll have a wonderful family that his voice and his energy will be used for you and singing songs and making music and being a leader, Father. And I thank you for Hermana, Melissa, and Armando. Hallelujah, Javier. Lord, I pray you bless them as moms and dads. Make them an awesome couple. Make them blessed in all that they do. Even though marriages and families have their struggles, I pray that they overcome and become conquistadors in the nombre Jesucristo. And I pray you bless these wonderful children in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Let's bless the Lord. Come by and see them before you go today because when are you leaving back to Mexico? Okay, so maybe next week we'll see you as well. But make sure you guys all see them. Let's give them another hand clap. Amen. We have a certificate we're going to give you. Let me give this to you. And Javier, we love you so much. Can I give you a big hug? Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Would you all open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. What a blessing today. Doesn't that just want you to make babies? 
Amen. And all you non-married folk, don't, don't receive that word. That ain't time for you, okay? I'm talking about married people. Married people, are you all ready to make babies? Okay. I love children. We have three. We have our fourth on the way, and we're not even halfway there because I'm going for a dozen. I'm going for 12. I want to have a tribe, amen? Some people thought I was kidding, but now that we're on number four and we've still got stamina, you know I'm talking for real. Baby boo, you ready to go anytime, though, right? We pray an early delivery. We pray a fast delivery in Jesus' name, amen? If not, just call me when you're ready at the hotel. Just call me, uh, that me at the hospital. <laughs> no, I won't be at the hotel. I've been trying to work this out to where it's like, like right when she's on those last pushes, she just gives me a call and says, I'm ready. So I can just come for the, uh, 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 and then the baby comes out. Like, I just want to be there for that part. Because how many men know, I'm just telling all myself, all these ladies, like, no, I ain't right. Can I just be honest, though, as a man? Those 18 hours before then are not fun. That, like, every time we get to that point, that right there is, like, what would you would, would call, like, um, safe sex or um, uh, uh, birth control. Thank you for that word. It is, like, birth control because when I look at what, we have, what my wife goes through, I'm like, I don't know if I want to make any more babies. But how many know the moment the baby comes out, the body heals, you go back to normal, you're like, I want another baby because they're so cute. They're so cute. Ishmael's on three. He's going for a dozen. Come on. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We're in a series, the Sermon on the Mount. We're talking today about the law and the prophets. Everybody say law and prophets. Thank you. Today you're going to learn why there is an Old and a New Testament in your Bible. Okay, you're going to learn about that. There is an Old and a New Testament in your Bible, and you're going to learn about that today. If you're in Matthew 5, 17, can you say I'm there? Okay, let's do it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Somebody say, everything is accomplished. Thank you. So he didn't come to abolish, but what? fulfill and the bible says nothing will disappear until what everything is accomplished thank you verse 19 therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches everybody say practice and teach thank you practice and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of god for i tell you unless your righteousness surpasses that of the pharisees and the teachers of of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. How many want to go to heaven? Amen. About half of you. What about the rest? Let's ask again. How many of y'all want to go to heaven? Amen. You got to die to get there. Are you ready to die? Okay. So if you were to die today, you're going to heaven, right? Okay. So we do not want to go to hell, to hell with the devil. That's the only person that belongs in that place. In the lake of fire is the devil and his angels, the Bible says. But humanity has been saved from this pit of hell by Jesus Christ. And if they receive that salvation, they get to go there. But if they reject and choose the path of rebellion, God, based on their decision, gives them what they wanted, which is hell. So does anybody want hell in here? No. Everybody say hell. No. All right? See, hell, no. It's not a curse word, right? We're not cursing right now. I'm not like, oh, you know, I'm not like that. I'm just like, hell, no. 
Okay, heaven, yes, right? So heaven's good, hell is, if y'all don't get nothing from this message, remember that, amen. Hell is bad, heaven is good. So if we want to go there, Jesus gave us two principles. He says, you need to practice and teach these commands. Because if you're not better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law with righteousness, then you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how does one become righteous? One becomes righteous by being born again. And what is the fruit of that born-again life? They practice and teach the Word of God. So we're not becoming righteous by doing more, doing more be- good things. Thank you for trying to interrupt, but let's have someone help him. We don't do debates here, but we'll schedule one for you, and we'll record it and put it on YouTube, okay? Here's the idea. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness is not something I do to become righteous, I don't just say today as an unrighteous sinner, oh, you know what? I'm going to start keeping the Ten Commandments. And then all of a sudden, my righteous meter goes up like 10%. And God's like, that a boy. You were so unrighteous before, but now you started reading your Bible and praying. Now you're righteous. And then if I keep being more righteous, then it goes up 20%. And God's like, come on, come on, you can get to 50%. Then maybe I stop cussing. No, righteousness is not something we're earning. We learned in the Beatitudes, go in your Bible. It's not right here. We learned in what Beatitude we are made righteous. Which one? Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger, thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So it's the hungry heart that comes to God in belief that says, I want to be righteous, Christ. You, righteousness comes from Christ, the righteous one. So if I hunger for it and I come to Christ, I'll be what? Filled. Am I partially filled? Okay, let me make this practical. It's about ready to be Easter. Some of your families are going to cook some food. If I came over to your house, would I be partially filled or all the way filled? Would I have a whole lot to fit in here? This is like my spring motivation shirt right here, okay? I just like, like put it on, buttoned up that last button, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to make this shirt feel right, okay? So I'm like in my medium shirt right now, like, okay, but if I went to your house for Easter, would I leave full, or would I leave partially full, a little bit, still hungry? I would leave full, would I not? Whoever comes to Christ Jesus hungry for righteousness is what? Filled. Everybody say filled. Okay, so now go back to this context. The righteous person practices and teaches what God says. You are not becoming righteous based on practicing and teaching. No, only righteous people can keep God's law. If you're not first born again, if you don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm empty on the inside. Fill me with your righteousness. You'll never be able to keep the commands of God. See, some of you want to wash your car, try to wash it, and then bring it to a car wash and go, God, now you do your part. No, you don't do your part in living for God and then bring your life to God and say, God, now you do your part. You take your dirty, filthy car, your life, bring it as it is to God's car wash. He changes you. He washes you. He cleanses you. And then he puts in that beautiful air freshener to make you smell squeaky clean. 
Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Amen. The old things are passed away. That is the sinful nature. That is the way you used to be. Also, the Bible says that he, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. In who? In Christ Jesus. So am I trying to be righteous? No, Christ made me righteous. Am I trying to clean my car? No, God cleaned my car. Now because I have a clean car, now because I have a new nature, I can do these things. Does everybody understand? Okay, so now we're going to be talking about how to practice and teach the laws of God. But once again, it is not by the law you become righteous. It is not by doing and not doing certain things. It's by being born again, made a new creation. One more simple example. See it like this. Can you, if, if I said I am only giving inheritances from my uh, life, let's say I get to live a long life, have a lot of wealth for whatever reason, and let's say I have all of this wealth, and I promise every one of my children an inheritance, and let's say you and I are friends, and I say the only way I can give you this inheritance is if I adopt you and you become my mijo, my little niño, whatever, and you call me papi, okay? Now, if I said based on this principle, everybody say adoption. If I said I will only give inheritance based on adoption, you being my children, if you rejected to be my child, if you rejected adoption, would it be your fault or my fault that you didn't get any inheritance? You'd be your fault if you said, no, I don't want to be a part. And there's, by the way, there's not going to be a lot there, okay? I'm just giving the example. Pretend I had what Bill Gates has, you know? So let's say I have all of these resources. I'm going to give them only to my children. I say, whoever wants to be adopted, I will adopt you. And you say, no, I don't want to be adopted. Whose fault is it now that you don't have those things? Your fault, right? It's the same thing with righteousness and salvation. Jesus says, I give it to everyone that my father adopts. The father adopts everyone that comes to Jesus. So anyone who comes to Jesus and says, I want to be a child of the father, the father looks to Jesus' sacrifice, and by that paid in full uh, bill of sale, the, the sins have been paid for. It is a covenantal agreement between him and his son. He then can adopt us, and we can become co-heirs, the Bible says, with Christ. We can now share in that inheritance, and righteousness is a part of it. And you don't have to wait till you die to become righteous. You can become righteous now. That is the adoption. That's when it starts. Boom, I'm in God's family. And guess what? God's not going to let you come. Come into his house with all the dirt on you and all the filth, wearing them stanky clothes. He is going to change you and wash you and make you clean and bless you. Can I get an amen? Okay, is so everybody ready for the lesson now? Okay, one of the most, please go to the introduction. Notes are also online. One of the most misunderstood aspects of Christianity to non-Christians and young believers alike is the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament or rather the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And we're going to talk about what Testament and Covenant actually means. But just so you can know what I'm talking about, whoever has a paper Bible in their hands, because a lot of us have ones on computers, open up to the last book of the Bible, Malachi. It's between, um, it's right before Matthew. And I want you to see an illustration of what I'm talking about. So if you have a paper Bible, everybody do this. And split your Bible between the last chapter of Malachi to the first chapter of Matthew. This is what we're talking about. 
Everybody get there. When you get there, wave your Bibles in the A. Uh, wave them like you just a K. Uh. <laughs> and if you love Jesus, let me hear you say, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, y'all got to come uh, next week for Easter. It's going to be going down. It's going to be going down. We got rapping, singing, maybe some drum solos up here, maybe some dancing. It is all going to be for his glory, though. Y'all got to come for Easter. Bring your friends and family. The preaching is going to be awesome. And by the way, we're doing free portraits for your family. So does anybody want a free portrait, man? You dress up nice. Hey, somebody should take a picture. Well, that's a great idea. Well, we have a professional photographer that's going to be here. Set you up to take a picture with you and your kids. Send it to you. It's going to be legit. Amen? Okay, here's what we're talking about. One of the most confusing aspects of Christianity to young believers who just get saved and to people who don't know Jesus is the difference between these two sections of the Bible. It confuses people all the time. Let me give you an example. So right now, it's a big thing with homosexuality in the media. A lot of people are saying it's okay, you know. Uh, it's okay to be gay. It's all all right. God's cool with it. And then when we say it's a sin... They'll then go to the Old Testament and say, well, if homosexuality is a sin, it also says in the Old Testament that, you know, you shouldn't put two different types of materials together when you make your clothes. So you should only have cloth clothes or silk clothes. You shouldn't have, like, polyester clothes. Like, that's actually in the Old Testament. So they say, you see, you guys are hypocrites. You Christians say it's wrong to be homosexual, but y'all be wearing polyester. See, they try to find a contradiction. Or let's say a young Christian comes to church, and maybe they have some tattoos. Maybe they got their baby mama on them or something. Or maybe now they want to go out and get a tattoo of, of like a scripture verse. And then another young Christian will go to them and say, oh, look at the Old Testament. It says not to mark your body for the dead. That means you can't have a tattoo. You're in sin. But then another Christian will go, well, the verse right before that says that, men, you're not supposed to cut your sideburns and the sides of your hair. It's supposed to grow out like curly cues. Have you guys ever seen the Jewish people with their long sides? And then it also says in a few verses before that that you're not supposed to plant two different types of seed in your garden. You're only supposed to have one row of corn and one row of squash. You can't put a half a row of corn and a half a row of squash. See, there's confusion. Somebody say confusion. What I want to teach you today is how to understand both covenants. See, the Jewish people only understand the Old Testament. That's why today they're not Christians, Christ followers, because they don't believe these other books apply to them. Then there are some people who try to take the laws out of the Old Testament and force all of them into the New Testament, as many as they can. There's a group called the Seventh-day Adventists. Anybody ever hear of them? And they try to say, you have to worship on a Jewish Sabbath. You can't eat lechon. Everybody go, oh, no lechon. Come on, what's wrong with them? You, you can't have that. And there's, so there's Christians who try to mix it back and forth. And then there's your general evangelical Christian, which is we are a part of that. And we have a new covenant with an old covenant foundation. And we're going to teach you why we believe this is our foundation but yet we're living rule by rule, law by law, by what's in the New Testament. Now, how many books of your Bible are in the Old Testament? Does anybody want to take a guess? Shout it out. No? How many are just in the Old Testament? Who knows? 39. Let's give it up for a Bible school student in the back. It only took a minute. And all the other Bible school students and pastors didn't say nothing. Pray for Metro Praise. Amen. 
Let's try it again now. How many books of the Bible are in the Old Testament? 39. You all quick learners. Amen. That's one thing we got going for us. We're quick learners. How many books are in the New Testament? Thank you. Somebody shouted that one out. I ain't going to get rebuked on that one, Pastor. And total books in the whole Bible, 39 plus 27 is 66. You see, one of the most misunderstood subjects is how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. Today's sermon is going to hopefully clarify to you today why there are these two covenants. And I want you to think about it like this. In the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed. In these 39 books, this thick portion of the Bible, Jesus is concealed in prophecy. He's concealed in history. He is concealed through the law. But in the New Testament, when he comes on the scene, makes his teachings clear, and his disciples talk about him and write the rest of the books, he is now revealed by his death, burial, and resurrection. Some may say concealed. Y'all see me? I'm a little bit concealed. Now some may say revealed. Ta-da. That's Jesus in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's What? In the New Testament, he's revealed. So from beginning to end, the Bible's all about Jesus. The Old Testament's still about Jesus. It's not like Jesus just shows up in Matthew like, oh, where have you been, God? Well, I've just been hanging out this whole time, and you didn't know about it. No, he's been there. He's been, he's been talking to people. He met with Abraham. He met with Moses. He was the angel of the Lord coming from the fire speaking to Moses. He was the angel of the Lord that spoke to Gideon. He was the one that Daniel saw in the vision that took all the authority that the Father gave him and ruled over the nations. Jesus has always been and will always be. Amen. The Bible says it like this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only difference is, is that in the Old Testament, Jesus is allowing the prophets to bring about the mystery of who he is so that when he comes, they'll appreciate what he does. In the Garden of Eden, the moment man sinned, an animal was killed to cover their nakedness. They were clothed with animal skin, and the first blood sacrifice was given. Then from that point forward, we see sacrifice. But if Jesus just would have showed up right after Adam and Eve sinned and said, now crucify me and I'll forgive all of your sins, they wouldn't have understood the meaning of sin. They wouldn't have understood the meaning of holiness. That is why for 4,000 years, God teaches human history through the law, through the prophets, all about his character and his nature. So when he splits the earth and comes down through a mother's womb and he comes incarnated into flesh, he can reveal everything about grace and truth. And people can behold both and understand it. Otherwise, humanity wouldn't have been ready. They weren't ready to go to college until they went to grade school and high school. But Jesus was still there. Somebody say, it's all about Jesus. As a result, when Jesus walked the earth, take, for example, Mark 2, 25 through 27, the Jewish Sabbath was a main component of the Jewish law, just like circumcision. And, you know, the Jewish Sabbath was you had to worship on Saturday. And it started when the sun went down on Friday, and it would go all the way through the night until the next day, Saturday, until the sun went down. So their days started and ended when suns went up and down, not when we would do in a time like a clock, 12 a.m., Okay, so when would Sunday end on a Jewish calendar? When would it end? 
today when the sun goes down. Do you understand? So today's Sunday, and when that sun goes down, boop, Sunday's over, and that's the beginning of Monday. Is everybody with me? Okay, so the Jewish Sabbath started right when the sun went down on Friday and went all the way through what they would say Friday night, Saturday morning into the evening. Is everybody with me? Now listen to what Jesus says about the Sabbath, and it can be said about all the laws. While Jesus was walking in Matthew chapter 2, uh, Mark chapter 2, 25 to 27, he says the Sabbath was made for man. Everybody say made for man. Thank you. Not, ma not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So why were the laws made, not just the Sabbath laws, but why were all these laws of 39 books made? They were made for who? For man. Was man made for these laws? No, the laws were made for. So what's the priority? The priority is, is that God is teaching man through the laws about himself. We weren't made just to obey laws for law's sake. We were made to know Jesus in relationship. Do you remember the Garden of Eden in the Bible? In the Garden of Eden, they were together face-to-face, -to -face, Adam and Eve, with God. Why did we need all these laws that came from the, after the Garden of Eden? Because man sinned. It was only then that we needed to understand all of these details because we had sinned. But we weren't initially made in the garden with 613 Jewish laws. Do you know how many laws we had in the garden? There's 613 now in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Do you know how many were in the Garden of Eden? How many laws were there? Come on, one. And what was that one law? Don't eat of that tree. And what did that law represent? That law represented worship obedience, loyalty, choice. It represented that. So here it is. If you wanted to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you could now have to live in that consequence, which would mean you would have to learn all that is evil and all that is good by doing evil, by doing the wrong thing. So it's like you can learn the hard way or just keep eating the tree of life. One tree was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Does everybody get that? That is the tree that we ended up eating. And how long did it take man to understand good and evil? About 4,000 years. And then when Jesus finally came, we still didn't really understand it. We crucified him. Now 2,000 years later, do you think people have a great grasp on good and evil? <laughs> really, they don't. Only Christians really truly understand good and evil now because we can look back through 6,000 years of human history right here, right? Are you guys tracking with me? But we never had to do that. We could have just followed the one law of God and just eat of the tree of life. So it's because man sinned that man now has to go through these long lessons of good and evil. But that wasn't the purpose of why we were made. We were not made to sit and study law all the time. We were made to know God. That's why the Bible says the Sabbath was not made for man, or rather the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now let's go to some terms here. Let's make it plain. Everybody say make it plain. I only have about 10 points and a couple charts, but it's going to get real simple. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to do my best. But it will be plain. It will be clear. We're in the teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the longest portion of Jesus' teachings found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
So if you really want to understand what we're talking about, you got to go home today, if you haven't already, and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is a whole message, and we're just in the middle of it right now because it's all about the foundation of our morality and spiritual practice as Christians, and that's why we have a hashtag, Kingdom Basics, because all this month, while you're realizing the basics of Christianity, Twitter it, put it on Facebook, say Kingdom Basics because remind yourself and others that's all about the kingdom. The people he's talking to, because it's a Sermon on the Mount, so get this image. He's sitting on a mountainside. All these disciples are around him. These people, these disciples that are there, are born-again committed followers and students of Jesus Christ. Do I have any here this morning? Any committed followers? Amen? Are you going to come even when the weather gets really good and you got to get out to the beach to get a good spot really early, but you're still going to come on Sunday? Even if your family has like a reunion and everything's going to be gone by the time you get there on Sunday, you're still going to come? Amen. You all going to come on 4th of July weekend? You going to come on a Memorial weekend? Amen. All right. So we put kingdom first. Why? Because we're disciples. We're his students. Amen. And then lastly, like I've been saying, the kingdom of God. So Jesus is giving this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. And what's the point? The point is it's about his kingdom. And the kingdom is where Jesus is king and he rules and reigns. And right now he rules and reigns in our hearts. Do the presidents and all the people of this world understand that he's a king? No. They don't always consult him and what he wants and what his will is. We're going to learn about the Lord's Prayer, the prayer he taught us, that we should pray, your kingdom come and your will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. Do you think everybody in Congress is doing that today? No. So shame on us when we don't obey what he told us to do. But whether or not we obey, is he not still king? Okay, so if my child stops listening to me, does that mean I don't own that house anymore? Hello, if they disobey, I'm going to show them how much I own that house. Amen. I'm going to take away the toys and the candy. I'm going to just have them sleep on the floor and have a little tin cup and a little tin plate. No, I'm kidding. You all think I'm serious. No, half kid. No, but just because people now acting crazy, oh, they're cursing. They're putting all this evil on, on the media, kings and queens and governments. They don't listen to God. Does that mean God's still not in control? He's not a king? No, he is still a king, and that's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The choice is, do you do it now for your salvation, or do you do it then on judgment day, and that's the last thing you do before you get sentenced to hell. Every king will bow at the, name, uh, the feet of Jesus and confess him to be the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, talking about today's lesson, law and prophets. Everybody say law and prophets. Thank you. We're learning about a testament, how there's an old and a new one. So what does the word testament mean? It's a covenant or an agreement between God and man. So when I went and got a car and I got it on lease, we say that there was an agreement between me and the dealership. Those of you who rent homes, there's an agreement between you and the landlord. When you bought your home, it was between you and the bank. How many know about agreements and deals and signing your name and your signature? The testaments of the Bible are between God and man, and they're sealed in blood. In the Old Testament, through the blood of animals. In the New Testament, through the blood of Christ. And if you do not serve Christ, your blood will be on your own hands and you will suffer. But if you do serve Christ, you will inherit the kingdom of God and have everlasting life. So when you look at the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, what you're really just saying is there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. In other words, there is an old deal between man and God and there is a new deal between man and God. 
The old portion of the deal is 39 books. Consider that the lease. Consider that the mortgage. That was between God and his people. 39 books. Do you believe it? Do you want to live by it? Deuteronomy talks about the blessing and the curses. If you follow it, you're blessed. If you don't, you're cursed. Then there's 27 books in the New Testament, in the New Agreement, in the New Covenant that talk about what Jesus said. And Jesus said, I'll send my disciples and they'll cover all the things I didn't have time to say. That's why there's more than just the Gospels because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Jesus, this is all oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Jesus. Slow down, preach it. <laughs> Take that back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Juan. Why aren't there? Why? Why doesn't it just stop there? Why are there twenty-three other books? Because Jesus said in the Gospels, in John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, He said, "I can't tell it to you all right now. I will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, and He will reveal all things unto you." That's why Paul wrote the majority. Then after that, and Peter wrote some books, and John the disciple wrote first, second, and third John, and Jude wrote some books. And there's a book called Hebrews that talks about what we're getting into today, how it's all fulfilled in Christ. The Old Testament. Is everybody tracking with me? Amen? James wrote some books. Okay. Why are they there? Because they are the new agreement between God and man. They are the agreement that you're supposed to live by. Is the Old Testament done away with? Should we not consider it important? No. Should we cut it out of our Bible and only walk around with the New Testament? No. The Old Testament is where Christ is concealed in all of the history and all of the law, and it's profitable for teaching and correcting, the Bible says. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is profitable for this. But the New Testament is what gives us the application of those laws, how the Christian today, both Jew and Gentile, is to follow Jesus. Now, number two, when you look at the Old Testament, there's actually four minor covenants that make up the whole big covenant. In Genesis 6.18, the first covenant is made between God and Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, 18, it says, After the flood, God made a covenant with Noah and said, I'll no longer destroy the earth with water again. And the way my promise, my covenant will be shown to you is by what? A rainbow. Amen. The second agreement we see with God and man is in Genesis 15, 18, is when he makes it with Abraham. And he says, I will bless you, and I will make your, nation, uh, your children great, and I will bless all the nations through your children. That's Genesis 15, 18. And in Exodus 24, 8, where the majority of all those 613 laws come from, God makes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. But who are Moses and the people of Israel? They're descendants of Noah and Abraham. So you can see it's getting more intense as history goes on. And then lastly, in 2 Samuel 7, 28, God makes a covenant with David, who was a descendant of the Israelites, and says to King David, that guy who killed the giant, he said, I'm making a covenant with your house that someone from your house will always rule and reign in Jerusalem and be my servant. That's why Jesus was born to an earthly family through the house of David, because he was called the son of David. He is fulfilling that prophecy that someone through the lineage of David will always be king over his people. So summarizing all of those four minor covenants make that whole covenant we call the old covenant. Is everybody with me? That is the old covenant. That's it in detail. Now there's one main covenant in the New Testament. There's not smaller ones. There's not many of them. There's just one. Turn with me quickly to Hebrews 8, 6. And it's the covenant that God made with his son, Jesus. 
See, many people think that the covenant is between us and God. No, the covenant is effective to us, but the agreement, the parties, the two parties in agreement is not man and God. The two parties in agreement is the Son with the Father. That's why when we come with the Son, we come in His righteousness and get His benefits because we could not come on our own. Every time we came in the Old Testament, we failed. That's why he made a better covenant, not with man, but with his son. And that's very important to understand because he was teaching us in the Old Covenant, hey, you think you can do this? Okay, Noah, I'll make an agreement with you. Let's see how your descendants do. Right after Noah's generation, they started to get crazy again. He says, okay, we'll try it with Abraham. Abraham's descendants got crazy. Okay, I'm going to try it with Moses. I'm going to try it with David. David committed murder, lied, and had an adulterous affair. And God is teaching humanity, y'all ain't better than Adam. All you thought you were better than Adam. I am showing you, all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So now instead of making a covenant with you, I'm going to make a covenant with my son. That way if you believe in my son, you'll be saved. See, there's the terms now. Believe in him and you'll be saved. Well, before we had to get circumcised, go on the Sabbath and keep all these laws. Yeah, but you kept messing them up. Here's the term now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How many like that covenant? Amen? You can't save yourself. That's why all the other religions, Hinduism, Islam, they're all teaching works, works, work harder, work harder. We have already shown in the Old Testament we have failed. God's people failed. Some of the most righteous people failed. Moses wasn't even able to go to the promised land because he couldn't keep his temper in check. David was an adulterer. Noah got drunk and got in trouble. Are you guys listening to me? We've all sinned. Jesus had to be the perfect not only Lamb of God forgiving sin, but he had to be the perfect mediator and agreement between God and man. That's why he became a man, to be the God-man, to make the agreement with the Father that is forever settled. It ain't never going to go bad. Amen? Look at this passage just in quick summary, Hebrews 8, 6. Look at it. It says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the what? The mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on what? Better promises. The promises that Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The promise that says, in me you can do all things. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. All them promises are based in Jesus. If you ask anything in my name, it will be done. If you say unto this mountain, in faith be thou removed, it will happen. We are in a new covenant because Jesus made that agreement with his father. By the blood of the Lord, by the blood he shed on the cross. Now let's go to law number four in the notes. The law, when we just talk about the rules, the law in the old covenant were the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Also known as the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, or the Torah. Everybody say the Torah. And that did contain 613 commands, which were the standards of the old covenant. And I should say all of it, 613, is in that covenant that he made with Mo Moses, but some of those were foreshadowed with Noah, with Abraham. 
Now, those 613 commandments cover everything. They cover civil law, when you should kill somebody and stone them, when you shouldn't do that, how you should get married and how uh, you should garden and what clothes you should wear and how to touch dead people and not to touch dead people and what to eat and what not to eat. Those 613 laws are very, very in-depth to the detail. Now, when Jesus came, as we will see again as we get back to that passage in 517, he said, I didn't come to change the law, but I came to what? Does anybody remember? Fulfill the law. And he said, it's not going to be done away with, but it's going to be accomplished. Come on, everybody say fulfill and accomplish. Okay, now look at the prophets because he says, I'm going to do this with the law and the prophets. The prophets were considered the other books of the Bible. See, the first five books are considered the law. Everybody say the law which is the Torah or the Pentateuch, which just means five book, Pentateuch. Penta is five, took his teachings, the first five teachings of the Bible or the Torah or the Tanakh in another way of saying it. But the prophets are all the books in the Old Testament that aren't in the first five. So 39 minus five is how many books? 34 books of the prophets. And then also specifically Isaiah through Malachi, who are the prophets by name. But there are prophets even before that all throughout the Bible, like Elijah and Elijah and Samuel and the rest. But they don't have their own books of the Bible. But those who have their own books of the Bible that are prophets are Isaiah through Malachi. Did I say Samuel didn't have his own book? Because he did, okay, because Samuel has his own book. But the rest, like Elijah, Elisha, and these different prophets don't. So here's the very simple way to look at it. God said through Jesus he's going to fulfill the law, the first five books of that Old Testament, and the prophets, all the rest. Is everybody with me? Now, what did those prophets do? What did guys like Elijah do? What did guys like uh, Isaiah do, Jeremiah? Just look in the table of contents right now. Would you do that if you have your Bible? Even if it's electronic, I want you to see it. I don't want to rush through this. I want you to get some information that brings revelation. Amen? They'll help you preach to win the nation. Look at some of these prophetical books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, which was also written by Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Who are these folks? What do we call them? Prophets, right? What about Jonah, Micah? Where did Jonah go? Does anybody remember where he went? To Nineveh. Did he go there willingly at first? No. What happened to him? He got swallowed by a... Right on, there you go, or a great big fish. Let's keep going. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Okay, so simply said, the prophet's job was to turn God's people back to the law. So the law is found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible, the the Pentateuch, or the Tanakh, or the Torah, right there. And then all these 64 other books are telling people, keep following the law. Keep doing what God said. Now, do you think God's people kept doing what God said? No. That's why they got judged a lot. That's why they got rebuked a lot. That's why their nation got invaded a lot. That's why they got in trouble. Even Jonah didn't want to go preach. He gets swallowed by a whale. Does anybody know somebody that doesn't like to follow God's law? Okay. Does anybody have a relative? Anybody have a neighbor right now you're sitting next to? Okay. We know a world of people who don't like to follow God's law, but we need to be different. Amen. And the prophet's job was to call people to follow the law. Now watch this, number six. Go to the notes now, please. In the prophet's writings, guess what they talk about? A new covenant. A new fulfillment of the law coming. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. So how do I know that Jesus, when he came and said, here is a new covenant, he was a good man? Because what if Jesus lied to us? 
How many would like it if someone came to you, let's say you got a mortgage, and you're paying 2000 on that mortgage, and they said, hey, I want to make a new mortgage deal with you. Pay a dollar and do that for 10 months. Pay me $10, $1 a, a month for 10 months, and you got this whole house. Let's say you owe 200000 on it, and they're basically saying you pay me $10 a dollar a month, and you got that house. How many would be happy? Right? If you owed a house, you'd be happy. How many were happy if your landlord said, hey, just pay me 50 cents. We'll call it even every month. It's 50 cents. But now watch. How many know if someone said that to you but it wasn't true, you'd be pretty upset? Right? When they come with the eviction notice and you're like, so-and-so told me it was only 50 cents. And they're like, you should have known better. So how do we know Jesus was telling us the truth? See, Jesus comes and says, I've fulfilled all this. Now all you got to do is believe in me. We're like, woo, yippee, Hercules, Hercules, or Jesus. We're like all happy for Jesus. We're like all excited. But how do we know that's true? Maybe Jesus lied to us. Maybe that's not true. Maybe like the Jewish people today. There's Jewish people today. Like in Skokie, they have a Jewish Bible college there. They would say, you guys are wrong. Jesus, if you think he taught you to do that, he was wrong. This is the law you're going to follow all the days of your life. There ain't no way out the Sabbath. You can never eat pork or shellfish. You aren't ever to wear those kinds of clothes, do those kinds of things. This is how you're supposed to live. Well, how do we know if Jesus told the truth? Now, some of you say, well, Jesus said it, and that means it's true. We just have a circular argument. What we're now saying is there's no way to test what Jesus is saying. We just have to take his word. Whatever he says is now true. How many know that's how cults get started in brainwashing? Just whatever somebody says is true, always believe it. But how about this? What if I can show you that hundreds of years before Jesus came, through prophets the Jewish people trusted, God promised through these prophets there's a new covenant coming. And this is what that new covenant will be like. So that when Jesus comes and says, I'm starting a new covenant, now the Jewish people and us could go back and check Jesus' words and see that they're based in the teachings of the Old Testament. How about that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's turn to, like two people, that's awesome, Pastor. Let's go to Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. That's easy to remember, right? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new what? Come on, somebody say new covenant. See, this is a prophet in the Old Testament. His name is what? I'm making sure some of you are up today. Jeremiah is promising hundreds of years before Jesus ever came in the flesh that the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Look at verse 32. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Oh, but Jesus' covenant's different than the old covenant. He says now we can eat all kinds of food, not stay away from pork and all that. We can do that. But that's different. That's contradictory. Hold on. The Old Testament told me that it was going to come. And the Old Testament told me that it was going to be different. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Remember I told you that's why human history had to go through this? We had to learn that everybody's like Adam. Everybody has sinned. No matter how many times we've been trying to make our own covenant with God on good terms, we still messed it up. He says, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Verse 33. 
Look at it, Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to their neighbor, know the Lord, because they all will know me. See, they won't need prophets going around talking about what God is saying because they'll know God's voice on the inside. That's why Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and the shepherd, the sheep know my voice. And another voice they will not listen to. They will know me, and no longer will they need to be taught from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Praise God. That's a good covenant, isn't it? That's a good deal. That's a new deal. And it's based on Jesus' blood. Look at it, number seven. The sacrifice Jesus made brought us into covenant with him. Yeah, we're in covenant with God, but the agreement's not made with us and God. It's made with him and his son. Look at Luke 22, 20. It's in the notes. In the same way, this is at the Lord's Supper. After the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So where does the blood come from in the new covenant? Jesus. In the old covenant, it came from animals. Are you in the new covenant? Are you under the blood of Jesus? Has his blood forgiven your sins? Are you able now to follow these 27 books, the agreement that he has made with you? That's why he said, if you truly love me, you will keep my commands. He is teaching us that our belief must be based in our obedience. It's one thing to say, I believe in God, but that doesn't make you necessarily following God. I could say, I'm a hamburger. That doesn't make me a hamburger. I could go into my garage and go, vroom, vroom. That doesn't make me a car. I can go to the bank and go, oh, I'm a millionaire. I'm a mil All that money's mine. That doesn't make me a millionaire. I could say I'm a good husband. Saying it doesn't make it so. When we say we believe in Christ, there has to be a divine transaction by his blood. His sinful, uh, your sinfulness for his righteousness. There needs to be an exchange of your depravity for his new nature. And then how is that new life demonstrated? You love the commands of God. You love what he wrote in these 27 books. You follow them because that's the path of your Lord and Savior. Are you saved? Do you know that you're saved? How many are saved in this place? How many are in the new covenant? Amen? Now go here to the last section. It only has four points in a graph. You all ready for it? <laughs> Rachel, would you come, please? I'm going to sum it up like this. Well, before we go into that, let's look at the passage. Well, as a matter of fact, keep the notes up, but go to the passage. Matthew 5, 17. Keep the notes up, but in your own Bible, look at it as we get ready to close. This is probably the most difficult passage of the Sermon on the Mount. The weeks coming, we'll be talking about murder. That'll be fun and exciting, right? But Chicago, how many know Chicago needs a lesson on murder? Like if there was anybody that needed a lesson on murder, it's like us, you know what I'm saying? We're going to learn what it means. And it's not just killing somebody, it's also cursing people out. We're going to learn about adultery, come on. We're going to learn about divorce. How many want to know what the Bible says about divorce? We're going to learn about oaths and keeping our word. We're going to learn about it's no longer an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. It's turned the other cheek. We're going to learn about loving our enemies. Matthew 6, 1, we're going to learn about giving to the needy. We're going to learn about prayer and why the Lord gave us this as our example prayer, our Father which art in heaven. We're going to learn about fasting. We're going to learn about treasures in heaven. We're going to learn about not worrying. How many want to worry less and trust God more? 
We're going to learn about not judging others by our own standards, but living by the word of God and grace and truth. We're going to learn how to ask, seek, and knock. How many want to learn how to ask, seek, and knock? Want to learn to do that? We're going to learn about the narrow and the wide gate, the path of salvation, true and false prophets, true and false disciples. And we're going to close out this series of the Sermon on the Mount based on the wise and foolish builder illustration that Jesus gave us, which is if you put these words into practice, you're a wise man building your house on a foundation. If you don't, you're foolish building on sand because the storm's going to come. And what makes the difference in your life, whether you stand or fall, is your foundation. Now, the Beatitudes were the introduction. Salt and light was why he's going to teach us what he's going to teach us. And now this portion, which is technical, is so important because now it gives us the foundation for Jesus' teachings. Because the moment after this, when he goes to talk about murder, the first thing he says is, you have heard it said in the old agreement, murder is just killing somebody. But now I tell you in the new covenant, anger and cursing out someone is like murder. Oh, with Jesus, where did you get the authority to change the deal? By his blood. By what was prophesied. That's why he's going to say, see, you were told in the old covenant, hate your enemies, obliterate them all. But now I tell you in the new covenant, love your enemies. Pray for them. Come on, you were told in the old covenant, just go to a temple to pray. But now I tell you, any place you pray is a temple. And you pray not big, great God in the heavens, old man who I don't know, and little baby Jesus. No, when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father, Daddy, Abba, in heaven, I glorify your name. You pray personally to him. See, that's awesome, isn't it? But we got to get this. Why is he doing this? Because in Matthew 5, 17, this is what he says. He said, don't think I've come to abolish this part of the Bible, the law and the prophets. I didn't come to obliterate it and just throw it away. I didn't come to abolish it. He said, but I came to fulfill it. What does the word fulfill mean? Complete. Bring to completion. Bring it to reality. No one could fill up all those 613 laws in a bottle and say, I did it, Father. No one could do it. But Jesus did. He didn't just say, well, throw it all out then. No one can do it. No. God said, I'll send my son to do it. He'll live a sinless life. He'll please me in all that he does. That's why when he got baptized, he said, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. Come on, somebody. Jesus fulfilled it. And then keep reading verse 18. He says, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, not one little thing out of this law will change until it's all what? Accomplished. Is heaven and earth still here? Like you're on planet earth right now, right? It hasn't gone away yet. Hello. We're all here. So that means the law, this is still here. But hold on, what's Christ doing? He's accomplishing all of it. He's accomplished the sacrificial part of it. We don't need to sacrifice animals. That's in Christ. He's, he's fulfilled the dietary part of it. He now says we can eat what we want because it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man, out of his heart. The Bible now says we don't have to worship just on a Sabbath because Sabbath is just a symbol of rest. And wherever you are with Christ, you are in a restful place because you're not working for your salvation. And what about all the other 613 lies, laws fulfilled in Christ? 
And some of the prophecies that were said in the Old Testament, like the Feast of Trumpets, when the trumpets will sound, and they would celebrate that as a feast day, and would, where the king from David's throne would come and rule and reign in Jerusalem, guess what? We're still waiting for that one, aren't we? But all of it, all of it, what was said by the law and the prophets will be accomplished, won't it? That's not going anywhere. But who's it going to be accomplished through? Jesus. Now think about this. The law was a babysitter for humanity. This part of your Bible was a babysitter. Look what Paul said in Galatians 3.23. It's in the notes. Before the coming of this faith, everybody say before. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Verse 24. So the law was our guardian. Was our what? Guardian. And what's a guardian like? A babysitter. This part of the Bible was humanity's babysitter. So we wouldn't go out and kill each other. And, and continue to live in incest, rape, murder. This was what to teach us how to be clean, how to do things right. But the law was our guardian until what? Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. We're no longer under the law. We're under Christ. We're under Christ. Now has Christ thrown out the law? No, the law is fulfilled in him, so it's still with him. But we're not trying to fulfill it. He already has. That's why he gives us his new teachings. He's got authority to do that. So here's the summary. Everybody say, make it plain, preacher. Here's the summary. Jesus didn't come to change or destroy the law and prophets, but rather he came to complete it. After completing it, He gave God's people a new and better covenant based on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and his teachings. That's why Hebrews 8.13 says this, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. I don't have to worry about those things that Christ told me not to worry about anymore. The diet, the clothes, the gardening. But what do I do need to concern myself with? The things he taught me. What did he talk about? He talked about sexuality. So somebody says, oh, well, then that means homosexuality is cool because Jesus never talked about it. Yeah, he did. Jesus said, you have heard it said, God created Adam and Eve for holy matrimony. That's when we get into divorce. And he's going to say, I don't even like divorce except for adultery. Somebody cheats on someone. So did he say, I created Adam and Steve? No. Did he say, I created Adam Eve, Margaret, Janet, polygamy? No, he says, I create Adam and Eve. Let's do it that way. So how do I know what comes from the Old Testament to the New Testament and what's relevant? Because you go to the 27 books of the Bible of your new agreement and you read it. Is lying still considered a sin in the new agreement? Is stealing still considered sin? Is adultery still considered sin? Amen. There's a lot of sins in there. If y'all looking for sin, there's a whole lot, right? But does it say in the new agreement that tattooing is a sin? Does the new agreement say that if you don't go to church on Saturday, you're in sin? Does the new agreement say that if you're not circumcised, you're in sin? Does the new agreement say that if you eat pork, you're in sin? No. Go to that new agreement and see what Jesus said for you to do. Amen? And here's how you can view the Old Testament laws in the New Testament. Obey what Jesus taught is their application. For example, Mark 7, 19. For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In this saying, Jesus declared all foods clean. 
So how do I know that I don't have to follow Jewish dietary law? Because that's what he said. When I was making this sermon, instead of calling the hashtag Kingdom Basics, you know what I wanted to put up there? That's what he said. But I was like, you know, there's some perverted people out there that, you know, that's what he said. It would, and maybe if it got tagged or some of that stuff, it would be gross. So I said, I'm just going to leave it out. But how many know that makes it simple? Okay, do, do you eat pork? Yes. Why do you eat pork when it says not to do it in the Old Testament? Because that's what he said. Jesus said I could. Why do you worship on Sunday instead of Saturday? Because that's what he said. Why don't you marry five wives and have polygamy like Abraham? Because this is what he said. Are you all with me? I don't know if you all just bored or you want to go back and live in the Old Testament and start stoning folks and you're disappointed right now. I'm sorry if I've disappointed you or bored you this morning, but I'm just trying to help you understand your Bible. Amen. I want you to understand your Bible. And in closing, help me, Jesus. Maybe I'll sing and make it a little easier. Some of y'all just want to go to the park right now. Help them, Jesus. Here's a comparison of the Old and New Covenant that I actually thought I would have time to go through. But I don't, so just scroll. When was, it, when was the Old Covenant established? In Exodus, new one at crucifixion. Who are the parties in the Old? Israel, who's the new one? Christians. How is the message? Uh, what are you redeemed from? Egypt, from sin. You can just go through it. It's all there. Just scroll through it slowly. See, these, these are the ways we understand the Old and the New Covenant. I would say, if you have any questions, talk to your life group leader or talk to one of the, the pastors here. We'll help you clarify it. But literally, 95%, if not more than that, is so crystal clear in the Bible. Some of these things that people get confused and fight about is really just meaningless. Anyone who says, well, I'm confused about homosexuality, it's in the New Covenant. Paul spends a whole chapter on Romans in chapter 1 talking about it still being a sin. Like Jack Black makes a funny YouTube video and says, oh, Christians, you eat shrimp and you use the Old Testament to prove it's, uh, you eat shrimp and you use Jesus to say it's okay. But when you say homosexuality is a sin, you use the Old Testament. So he's trying to make a contradiction. No, the reason why I say shrimp's okay is because of Jesus. And the reason why I say homosexuality is a sin is because of Jesus. And if you don't think that sin is anything outside of marriage, sexuality, then explain to me why rape would be wrong. Because Jesus didn't say nothing about rape either. Jesus didn't say anything about, Jesus didn't go around going incest is wrong, child molesting is wrong, rape is wrong. Why didn't he go around doing that? Because all he had to do was make one statement. This is how you have sex. Man, woman, marriage, into discussion. Boom. Polygamy is wrong. Polyandry is wrong. Polyamor is wrong. Uh, rape is wrong. And it's, it's all wrong. Here's how you do it. Marriage, man and woman. Amen? Keep scrolling on down. Oh, there you go. When you look at the Old Testament and you read it, here's the question you always want to ask yourself before you apply it to your life, is what did Jesus and his apostles say? So read the Old Testament. Learn from it. See how awesome it is. If you really like this discussion today, read the whole book of Hebrews. It's written to Jewish people to understand the New and the Old Covenant. You'll be so blessed by it. But do us all a favor. If you ever feel like you want to start stoning people and start wearing one cloth and worshiping on Saturday, come talk to us first so we'll help you understand. Amen. Don't be a weirdy out there on your own. 
Amen. Don't be a weirdy. Understand the difference between the old and new covenant. Would we all stand up now? Can we bless the Lord for his word today? Amen. We thank you, Jesus. Let's bless him for the new covenant. How about that? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Man, would you come, please? As we're all standing, there's a quote here at the end. I'd like for you to remember this week as you meditate on this. Jesus came to accomplish the law, bring it to its full meaning in the new covenant. Therefore, we're to fully obey Jesus' teachings of the law and prophets as revealed in the New Testament. Once again, how many want to practice and teach God's law? Amen. And you need Jesus to do that. Altar workers, would you come? Let's just pray today. Father, oh, Lord, that was a technical sermon, but I thank you for giving us the grace to go through it. I pray that now our hearts will understand these words. With every head bowed and eyes closed right now, would you just meditate on what Christ did for you? How he established a new covenant with the Father. I know some of you may not be very familiar with the old covenant, the Old Testament, but you know enough to be grateful today. Would you just thank the Lord? Thank the Lord for the cross, a better way. Thank the Lord for forgiveness. Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That you don't just need a preacher to keep preaching at you like a prophet. That today you can go home and know this is true by searching your heart, by reading the word and having the Holy Spirit confirm it to you. Come on, thank him today. Those of you who know you're saved by grace through your faith in Jesus, what are you thankful for in your salvation? Thank him for three of those things right now. What has changed in your life since you put your faith in Jesus and received grace? Next week, we're going to be talking about the resurrection and Christ and his suffering for us and the cross and how much he loved us. But right now, we're already saved, many of us here. So let's thank him. I know what changed in me. I'm so thankful for. I'm thankful that my attitude has changed. I'm thankful that my relationship to others has changed. I'm thankful that I'm no longer on drugs or drunkenness. I'm glad that those things have changed. My, my mind has changed. Amen. Now before we leave, would you pray now for a few people you want to see receive this new covenant that will come with you next week for Easter to hear all about the death, burial, and resurrection? Would you pray for your families? of family members that don't know the Lord, that they'll come into this new covenant. Everyone can be adopted into God's family. Lord, I lift up to you my neighbor Steve and Michelle. I pray they get born again, Jesus. Come into the new covenant. Pray for Vivek and Ashta, Lord. Let them know you, God. Let them repent of their sins, oh God. Bring them to you. Pray for Ricky and Rodney, oh Lord. Let them live for you, God. Let them know you. Let them enter in. Satan, loose them and let them go. They belong to Jesus. 30 more seconds. Pray for somebody. Pray for somebody right now. God so loved the 